sometimes when we really, really, really need to heal and make that conscious decision to heal, a miracle kind of occurs. I mean, I know that sounds crazy. Deepak Chopra writes about it, though, and it does happen to people. Hi, I'm Alethea Kias, and you're entering a world gone good. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and this is World Gone Good, the podcast where we shine the light or find the light in the darkness to prove there is still good happening in our not always so good seeming world. That's a new quote I made up, I suppose. Help us spread the good by sharing, subscribing, rating, and reviewing this year's show through your own social media and on whatever pod platform you are listening to us on right now. Every time you do, you help more people find us, and that is a good thing. Okay, so here is a question. Do you have an inner voice? Is it a positive one or a negative one? Or does it depend on your mood and or the day of the week? More importantly, do you listen to your inner voice? Some people say their heart or their head or their gut is their inner voice and to each their own. The question is, are you listening to one or any of them? My guest today did what a lot of us have done, including me. She was not listening to her inner voice. Well, she didn't at least for a while. Then she did. And when she did, she had an awakening, an awakening so powerful, it changed her life and it cured her of an actual physical ailment. How many times has the stress of your life caused you to have a headache or a migraine or a stomach ache? I have my hand raised for all three. It is powerful stuff, this listening and not listening to our inner voices, isn't it? Alethea Kihas teaches yoga and Reiki and is the author of two very different books, both focused on the power of listening and trusting our inner voices. This is her good. Alethea Kias, you are one of the um, wonderful people who reaches out to me and says, hey, I like your show. Can I be on your show? And This is so great for me because it takes the pressure off of me because usually when I book the guests, which is 99% of the time, I'm worried the whole time of like, oh God, don't suck, Steve, don't suck. But really, it's on you right now not to suck. How does that feel? Let's go there. That's a little pressure. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. You're going to make it through, I think. You have an (laughs) MFA, an RYT, an RMT, and an EM yoga foundations teacher let's go through each of these you have an mfa what's your mfa in it's in creative writing fantastic what's your what is an ryt registered yoga teacher fantastic what is an rmt reiki master teacher i love reiki i love reiki and i know people i know people who are freaked out by it yeah yeah they shouldn't be (laughs) so tell everybody what reiki is So Reiki is basically a form of healing that channels basically the universal life force energy. So there are different modalities. The kind I do is um, basically hands off. Uh, Sometimes I put my hands on people, but very often I do it distantly. So um, there doesn't have to be contact and you just feel energy flow through you and it 
often goes to the places that need healing. And sometimes other stuff comes up as well. Um, you know, emotional things. If you're into uh, past lives, that can come up as well. Spirit guides, messages from the other side, that sort of thing as well. You have been doing, how long have you been doing yoga for? Well, I've been practicing yoga for uh, over half my life, um, but I've been teaching it for probably, let's see, probably about eight years. Um, well, not quite eight years, uh, but I've been doing EM yoga for about two years, and that's a little different than regular yoga. Actually, I compare that to acupuncture with yoga because literally you're, you're using acupuncture points um, and tracing meridians and that sort of thing. So it's basically uh, an enhanced version of yoga. Okay. So this is not, none of the reasons why you contacted me. You contacted <laughs> <Okay>. me <laughs> because you, like me, we're both writers. You even, you have an M, you're better than me. You have an MFA. I only have a, I have, a, what do I have? I have a BFA. I have a bachelor in fine arts. Um, when did you first start writing? Oh boy. Um, well, I mean, I've been writing stories in my head since I was five, I think, but, um, <laughs> I didn't really give myself permission to actually sit down and write book like manuscripts until I actually was in school for my MFA. Um, so that was just over a decade ago. I went to Goddard College for my MFA uh, and started writing my memoir, A Girl Named Truth. So that's when I really delve into, delved into the writing world, I guess you would say. How old were you when you started writing a memoir? So I was in my early 30s. Um, my kids were little, well, mid-30s, I guess, early to mid-30s. Yeah. So um, it was it was an intense time. <laughs> but do you think there's a pressure when someone says you wrote a memoir in your early 30s? What do you mean by a pressure? What was the inkling to write a memoir, I guess, is my question. I'm not judging. I'm not judging. I'm asking. Right. No, yeah. I mean, it's not that I thought that I was in any way special. It was more of a personal journey. So um, let me backtrack a bit. So before I went to Goddard, I had I was pretty ill. I had severe what they labeled it as IBS. Basically, they didn't know what was going on with me. I had severe stomach pain in the middle of the night. It would come in the middle of the night. Um, and it was debilitating. I had it for two years uh, and I got, I got really weak and sick and I was, I finally decided this is it. I can't do this anymore. And so on mother's day of 2008, I woke up and I said, this is it. And I never had another episode and you might call it quantum healing, but, um, it also was a shift. So I made a conscious shift to actually follow my dream, which was writing. And I quickly started pursuing um, programs that did MFAs that were distant learning or partial distant learning, which is what Goddard's approach is. And as I was integrated into the program, I realized that the stories that were held inside of my body making me sick were the stories I needed to write. So it was really a healing journey for me. And I decided to publish it because I was hoping that perhaps other people would find healing from it as well. You know, we've all been silenced. We've all had stories trapped in our bodies. Um, and so although my story might be slightly different than someone else's, I think there's a universality to it. I love this. I mean, in a, in a good way, because this has happened to me so many times in my life where it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. How much longer? How many more messages do you need? 
So my question to you is if you're willing to share, what were the stresses in life that led, do you think, to that realization of I've got to make a change? Yeah, I mean, literally, that's the fact that I couldn't care for my kids. Um, You know, there would be days where I'd have to have my husband come home, you know, stay home from work, or I'd have to call, you know, a relative. And um, that's not the life I wanted to live. So I, I really had no choice. Was this before yoga, during yoga, or did yoga come after? So that was that was before I went into yoga teacher training. Um, I was doing yoga off and on at that time, probably not that actively because my kids were little. I don't think I was doing a whole lot of yoga actually at that time. But yeah, I mean, yoga came after that and as well as Reiki and, and a whole bunch of metaphysical journeying came after that. Yeah, I really delved pretty deeply into spirituality through that process. And if I can ask you, because I think my audience is probably wondering too, was there a dietary nutritional change you made as well as a spiritual emotional change you made? You know, that's a great question because when I was trying to figure out what was wrong with me, I was going to, you know, my PCP and also a gastroenterologist and we were trying to figure out what, you know, what was I doing wrong? What, what, what could I do differently? And uh, that was kind of at the early stages of when probiotics were becoming popular. And I kind of suggested maybe I should try that. And the specialist said, yeah, try that. So I did. But honestly, I don't think it was that. I, I, I don't use them anymore. Um, I just think that sometimes when we really, really, really need to heal and make that conscious decision to heal, a miracle kind of occurs. I mean, I know that sounds crazy. Deepak Chopra writes about it, though, and it does happen to people. I, it's frustrating when I tell people that story because they do want to know something tangible. They want to know that like a probiotic will kill their will, will, will cure their um, IBS. But it, I don't think that's the case. Um, I think it was really more of that conscious decision to heal and then proact and then actively taking those steps to do so. Um, you know, as I started writing, the stories were literally coming out of me, you know, I could feel them come out of me. It was, you know, it's just that process of, of, of detangling those stuck emotions that are inside of you. So, I mean, I think, you know, diet can help. I didn't do any radical changes. I was already eating a healthy diet. Um, I think I added a little more fiber to my diet as well, but I, I was already eating plenty of fiber. So yeah, it's, it's hard to, to say if that really helped. Well, I think a lot of it is that so many of us, myself included, we are looking for sometimes quick fixes, but mm-hmm. also like, what regimen can I change? We see right. things online, right? We see, mm-hmm. we see a Tony Robbins. We see a, a rich dad poor dad guy. I can't think of his name. Um, I was in a relationship with somebody a long time ago who was obsessed with that guy and would go to these, these, um, forums and, uh, speeches and, you know, gatherings and come back with all these books. And he would say, you got to read these books. And I would start reading them. And I, I always found for me, this is just me that they talked, they talked in circles. Yes, you're right. Absolutely. And honestly, I mean, I think that's, that's that's kind of the the, the root of it because you you know your story could be different from mine in the way you need to tell it right but but whatever's trapped inside of you that I'm just using you as an example this doesn't mean it's happening to you but 
whatever might be trapped inside of someone that needs to be needs to come out may manifest in a physical you know disease of some sort. That's usually what happens. Um, so so searching for that root cause, I think, is going to actually cause more healing than a pill. Or I mean, I tried all sorts of pills, by the way. <laughs> Um, and none of them worked. I was scoped as well. They were looking for an ulcer, all sorts of things. And not everyone wants to go to that place. I understand that most people or not most people, but a lot of people might want to just, you know, want to take a pill or want to change their diet or want to try, you know, some sort of miracle concoction. You know, there's all these different trends out there and that might help. But I think that if something's really needing healing, it'll keep coming back until it's resolved on a deeper level. That makes sense. (laughs) It does. And I think a lot of people too, and I've been there in my life, don't want to do anything and just want it to be fixed. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been there too. I mean, that's why I went to Reiki. I, you know, that's how I started being a Reiki practitioner. I did a lot of Reiki, you know, sessions, (laughs) had a lot of people do Reiki on me. They helped, you know, but ultimately I had to do the work. In 2012-ish, 2013, my gut was really bad, really, really bad. And I stopped microwaving food. Oh, interesting. Wow. But it it wasn't just about microwaving the food for me. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of what you just spoke about. It was also I started slowing down yeah. the process of, I'm going to just throw this in the microwave. I'm going to eat it. We're going to wolf it down and we're going to run out the door, right? Yeah. We're going to go do whatever. Yeah. And I started getting the vegetables, Mm -hmm. cutting the vegetables, preparing the vegetables in a pot, stirring, adding, you know, seasoning, taking my time. And I think part of that for me was, yes, it's a fact. Sorry, everybody listening. (laughs) When we microwave food, we kill 90% of the nutrients in it because that's what the microwave does. But also just... I slowed the process down. Right. You were being more mindful in, uh, overall, which I think is, is a huge key. That's, a, that's incredible. Yeah. I think it was probably, as you've said, a combination of both. I mean, obviously, you've got to put some good food in your body as well, or it's, it's going to be running on, you know, crap. But Right, right. But yeah. yeah. Now, A Girl Named Truth is a fantastic title. Where does that title come from? Well, my, main, my name means truth. And, oh, cool. Well, let's yeah. so let's start. Well, hold on, let's go here. Are you? Is your name Greek? It is Greek. So I knew it. I see. <laughs> I know things. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> well, your your last name sort of helped me too. Okay, cool. But and going back for a second, are you named after somebody directly? So this is an interesting story, which is one of the reasons why truth is just a prevailing theme through everything I do. It's, you know, my business is is called Inner Truth Healing and Yoga. So, um, I. I was not named after anyone in particular, but according to my mother, my name was found in a, some kind of mysterious book. I found out when I started writing my memoir and reconnected with my birth father that my name actually came from, um, so back in the 70s, I was born in 1973. So back in the 70s, there was a show called um, Kung Fu with David Carradine. A white man playing an Asian guy. Yes, exactly. You know about it. Okay. So Yeah, I have it. I'll tell you really quickly, everyone. I will not share it, but I worked with David Carradine. Oh my gosh. And um, yeah. Okay, keep going. Well, that's fascinating. (laughs) I'd love to hear more about that at some point. 
Um, so I had never heard of it, but anyway, I, I YouTubed, you know, you can YouTube everything. So I YouTubed it and, um, my father told me, you know, yeah, there was an episode before you were born called Alethea starring Jodie Foster. So I watched it. Yeah. It was pretty fascinating to, to realize that that, that, that was the origin of my name after not knowing that and being told a different truth, right. From my mother. <laughs> so there was no magic book. No, <sighs> there was no magic book. My mother, my mother had has always had a tendency to reinvent truth. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but wait, you got a Jodie Foster connection, which is awesome because I once took Jodie Foster to the bathroom at Warner Brothers. Oh my no gosh, lie. really? Yeah, okay. I, I should just do a whole podcast on random celebrity know, stories. Right? Yeah, oh she gosh. was really nice. I bet. She couldn't find the bathroom and I was waiting for a, I was had to bring something back to my boss in another building and I was waiting for them to, whatever it was, a contract or whatever the hell it was. I was in my twenties oh and Jodie Foster walks by once and then she walks by the second time. And then I just go, I'm I'm just standing in a hallway, right? And I just see her walk once, walk twice, and I just go, Jody Foster, do you need help to find the bathroom? And she looked at me and she goes, I'll try to do Jody Foster. She goes, Yes. <laughs> and I go, and she just started laughing. I go, Yeah, come with me. And she goes, You are so nice. And we walked down the hallway and I took her to the bathroom and I go, Here's the bathroom, Jody Foster. That's and she awesome. goes, She just laughed and she goes, Thank you so much. I'm like, You're welcome. And I walked away. I just could see she needed to go to the bathroom on her face. This is my butt. Okay. So <laughs> truth, is it something that has played through in your lifetime that you've either embraced, run from, accepted, haunted you, or is it just your name? I think, honestly, it's everything but the last. Um, I, I tend to think we're given our names for a reason, most for the most part. And, uh, you know, not that it's necessarily conscious, not to get too woo woo, but I think almost, you know, we kind of choose our names when we choose what bodies we're going to, you know, reincarnate it and what experiences we're going to have. And when I was from the time of my earliest memory of knowing what my name meant, it, it just, be, it felt like it was a guiding beacon for me. And, you know, as a kid, I, I remember vividly, you know, the times there were I'd, you know, want to lie, and sometimes would pull it off a little bit, but it was a struggle. I just felt like I had to adhere to this um, guidance of, you know, always living by truth as, as, as well as I could define it, right? It's not, it's not easily defined in some ways. But then as I, um, you know, was healing and going through the process of writing my memoir and deconstructing the truths I was raised on, it took on a whole nother level there as well. Um, decoding, you know, truths from lies and secrets uh, and then as I was moving from that into my more inner truths, and that evolved, you know, the metaphysical side, the spiritual side of, you know, what is the universal truth that we're all bound by? Um, so yeah, it's been, a, <laughs> it's, it's been my guide, my guidepost basically for, for my, since childhood. Let's move over here. A desire to help. I'm reading from your website. I'm going to sound oh, okay. so like I've done my homework here. <laughs> a desire to help today's youth live more mindful and authentic lives led to the creation of the Warriors of Light visionary fiction series, the first book of which, The Labyrinth, is out and available in paperback. These are YA young adult novels? Yes. Or they um, for everybody? I mean, not, not that a YA number novel right. can't be for everybody. Uh, yep. So an age is nine and up. Um, so you could say middle grade and up. Um, yeah, they're, they're written with the, there's only one published so far. Uh, there's a, there's a series, uh, the rest of the series 
hopefully will come out pretty soon. Uh, I'd like to get a publisher for them though. So um, yeah, basically the mission really is to help kids and of, of all ages really find, as we were just talking about, tap into that inner truth, tap into understanding who they are. So they're empowerment novels, they're fantasy, but they're not, you know, they're full of metaphysical truths, you might say. And really designed, yeah, to help guide people using, you know, that metaphor of the labyrinth, what different pathways we can take to get to the center of our being. Did your own children play into the writing of these books? They certainly did. Not not directly, though. <laughs> not like they helped out. <laughs> um, yeah, I started writing The Labyrinth when they were pretty little. I think I was working on it when I was working on my memoir, get little, little snippets here and there through meditations and stuff. So um, the characters are all based um, in some part on people I know. Yeah, you're not supposed to do that, right? But um, <laughs> everybody does. Yeah, everyone does, <laughs> right? So, so the characters. There's six main characters. They're 13 year, years old. They all shape shift into their spirit totem animals. And so, for example, the character Lupe has a wolf's totem animal, which I'm pretty sure is my son's totem animal, and they s- share a lot of similarities. There's a character named Dell who doesn't look anything like my daughter, but her totem animal is an otter. And I'm pretty sure my daughter has an otter as one of her totem animals. So yeah. And then there's characters based on myself as well. So there's kind of a mishmash. So so yeah, I drew from own, my own experiences, my children's experiences. Uh, you know, My son in particular is a highly sensitive um, teen at this point, and I was a highly sensitive child and now adult. So um, so that was, um, also very impactful on, on writing these characters who are a little different and feel the world pretty profoundly. Do you have a mindset or a plan of A to Z? It's five books. It's three books. This is the overall arcing story and it has an ending. <laughs> you know, I thought I did. <laughs> right. Uh, and then, um, I thought it was always going to be a trilogy, and then uh, as I was, so I wrote the second book a, wh- a little while ago and then started soliciting beta readers. And um, as I was getting feedback from my beta readers, it kind of became apparent that maybe I needed to take a different approach with the second book. So I've decided to um, play along with the theme of the labyrinth a little more and actually write little vignettes um, and break it up a bit. So different pathways. Um, so yeah, it'll be more books than I thought. Some of them will be short, though. So, yeah, it's taking on its own kind of life, which is kind of fun, actually. <laughs> kind of fun and different. Well, I write myself. Yep. And a lot of the time when I'm writing, I can't write fast enough because I don't even feel like I'm doing the writing. I feel like it's they're just telling the story for me. Do yeah. you feel that way? Yeah, absolutely. Right? I mean, I, I, I honestly think that must be true of all artists and writers, right? We... We channel from a, a different source. We channel from our higher self or, you know, some kind of other source that we don't really have complete control of. And then we have to edit it and, and you know, make sense of it. <laughs> right. That's yeah. the hardest part. It is. <laughs> it absolutely is. So this is my last question before we get to my final three that I always end the shows with. Okay. For you specifically, how important or necessary or needed do you think artists are in the world right now? 
well, you know, I may be biased, but I think they're they're needed more than almost anything else. And I mean, I guess you could define artists pretty loosely. And that's what I, I think an artist is anyone who's really following that inner joy. Um, and if, if you're following your inner joy, you could be an artist who's, you know, a physician, you could be an artist who's a teacher. It's anytime that inner joy radiates out in whatever you're doing. I think that's, that's uh, the most important thing. So whatever that However way that joy manifests, that's what we need in the world. We end these shows with three questions. They're fairly easy. Don't worry. You know the answers. One you sort of already answered. Where can people find you online? And where can people follow you on social media? So you can find me at my website, alethiakias.com, which links to my social media and my blog, which is a light behind the story. And my books are on Amazon. I'm on Instagram, Truth Heals and Warriors of Light Club. Um, and Pinterest and Twitter, but not very often on Twitter. So I'm mostly on Instagram and um, my blog, I guess you could say. I also have a Facebook author page. And the final two questions we ask are, they can go back to anything we've already talked about or anything you want to say. The first question is, who inspires you? Wow. Um, Lots of people inspire me on a daily basis. So that's a, that's a loaded question, (laughs) but mostly my kids, I have to say, I, you know, and, and that's probably cliche, but when you're a parent, I think you just see so many things in your, in your children, things you do differently, things, you know, you notice things about life that are mirrored in your children. So they're, they're a constant source of inspiration for me. And the final question is how we end every show. It's not even a question. It's just something to finish. It goes like this. Tell me something good. Dot, dot, dot. Wow. Tell me something good. That is kind of, geez, that sounds easy, but it's sort of loaded, isn't it? Something good. There's lots of good in the world, right? And now I can't even think of something in particular. Something good, the cat sitting on my desk and helping me out. So that's a good thing. <laughs> this conversation, everything. I mean, honestly, there's, I think that, I think that's the, the why that's a loaded question is because I think that we get caught up in the, the um, things that go wrong and we forget all the things that go right. You know, the fact that the sun shines and the life ke- and the world keeps turning every day, despite all the, all the other things that, that annoy us. There's, um, there's that sort of universal flow that is always there. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I think is, that is good about life that we can always look back to. Thank you, Alethea, for sharing your good. Go find both her books on Amazon and give them a good read next time on World Gone Good. I did what any person does when they lose something valuable. I made posters for my lost joy and hope. And I bought a Skype phone number with voicemail recording capabilities and I hung posters all over the neighborhoods all over Los Angeles. I'm dead serious. Amy Ball was missing joy and hope from her life. Quick backstory. Two years ago, right before this here podcast ever even started, I made 
storytelling videos with friends. I called it something like Stories with Steve. I don't think I called it something like that. I think I did call it that. These were actual written down stories that people I knew read aloud and we discussed and my pal Amy shared her search for her missing joy and hope. We are going to play you her story in full as she told it in 2020 and then we're going to follow it up with a conversation with her in the present of 2022. Here are the questions. Did she find her lost joy then? What about her hope? Has she held on to them now? What about you and your own joy and your own hope? Join us for a joyful and hopeful all-new episode next week. Until then, be good.